Good morning, church. Um, no, I'm not preaching. <laughs> but I am reading from James chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 12. And it says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he, do what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes a great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire a word of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being t tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth some praise and, uh, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Thank you, Alex. May God bless the reading of his word. How many of you remember the old rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? And in our family, you said, words will never hurt me, nah, like you had to add that to the end. I don't really know why we did. But that little rhyme, uh, you'd say that to maybe the person that made fun of your haircut or called you a stinky butt. But it wasn't just kids, right, that said this. Teachers, parents would use that rhyme to help console you when you came home crying because Molly had said that your ears were too big or that no one liked you. But somewhere in our growing up years, we learned a truth. And that was that that rhyme, as catchy as it was and as well-intended as it was, it wasn't true, was it? The old saying meant well, but words really do hurt. If most of us think back about our life, the things that stand out to us the most, the most extreme instances of pain and frustration and sadness and sorrow in our life are usually not associated with something physical. They can be. But they're the words that were said to us or the words that we said. Studies have shown that the average person opens their mouth over 700 times a day. Now, for some of you, it's a lot more than that. That's a lot of opportunities to say words that maybe shouldn't be said. Now, those 700 words, there are 700 times that you open your mouth a day. Uh, they've kind of done some research on this, and there's lots of different numbers. But the, the, the current standing is that that equals about 54 pages of printed words that you say a day. 54 pages. Once again, for some of you, it's a lot more than that. And for some of you, it's a lot less. 
of 54 pages of verbal communication. If you put that together over the course of a year, that's 66 books of 800 pages a year. That's a lot of talking. And how many of those pages of yours would you be willing to have put up on our screen? In one day, this says my daily words. This actually isn't my daily words. But I don't know that I'd feel comfortable putting that in front of you. If we've been studying the book of James, he's been challenging us to take a look in the mirror and really evaluate the things that we do. Do our actions line up with our faith, or as we saw last week, our belief? And here in chapter 3, he centers in on the power of our words. That's why James starts this chapter with a warning to those who are leaders in the church. He's not trying to cut down the number of preachers. That's not his intent. He's telling us, especially those who are leaders in the church, and that's many of you, not just the guy who stands up here and preaches, but that our words matter. He's going to tell us more or tell us why later in the end of this section, but James knows that our words matter. And he acknowledges, he says, we all struggle with this. Leaders in the church or not, we all struggle with our 54 pages. So he uses two illustrations to help us understand the power of our words. And these are familiar to us even today in many ways. The first one he says is a bit. You guys see this bit goes in the mouth of a horse. Some of you know a lot more about this than I do. But the point of this little piece of metal that goes in the jaw of this horse is to help steer it. To help control where it goes. And he says, your words are like your tongue, he says, is a bit. And it determines the direction that you're headed. The second illustration he gives us, bits, is rudders. Now, this is the largest ship that I think I've ever been on. Does anybody know what this is? The Queen Mary, yeah. I know it's not the largest ship ever, but it's the largest one I can remember being on. And especially as a child, this thing is huge. Many of you have been on cruise ships that are probably bigger than that. Uh, But the Queen Mary was at one time a giant vessel. But it's controlled by this next picture here. That's the rudder. Out of this whole ship, that's its rudder. It's, in comparison, really small. Even though the ship is huge, its direction is determined by a small little rudder. It's small, but it's powerful. See, our tongues, they're not really inanimate objects. This is just an illustration that James has used for us. Just like the bit has to be controlled by someone, the horse decides where it's going to go based on the bit that's controlled by someone. And the rudder doesn't just do it on its own. It has to be controlled by someone. Our tongue is controlled by someone. So let me ask you, who holds the reins of your tongue? Who's steering the rudder of your words? And that's the underlying question that James wants us to to see this morning, that the tongue is just a tool. See, the problem isn't your tongue, it's what's driving it. Our words direct our lives. They set the course for where we're headed. And not just the actual words that we speak out loud. We understand this is a metaphor, right? It's the words that we tell ourselves in our hearts. The words that we type on our phones or our computers. The words that echo in our hearts that we would never dare say out loud. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Where are your words taking you? Where are your words taking you? 
James goes on and he compares the tongue now with a fire. He says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. This is pretty intense. This past summer, Canada experienced a huge wildfire. And as of this past Wednesday, 43.43 million acres of land has been destroyed. Tens of thousands of people have been displaced and many have died. Now this fire started back in May and it's still burning today. At its worst, even here all the way in Indiana, we saw the effects of this, didn't we? We experienced the the effects of this fire some 2,000 miles away as it clouded our skies, made it hard for many of us to breathe. That's the power of our words. When they're unleashed, they're a fire. The tongue is a fire that sets things ablaze and affects not just the people immediately around it, but it has trickle effects, some of which we may never know. All it takes is a small spark to set things on fire. See, our words can build or they can burn. Our words can build or they can burn. Think about the words that have changed your life. I love you. I'm proud of you. We want you on our team. Or we're going in a different direction. You'll never be good enough. I don't love you anymore. See, there's an old principle that says it takes seven positive comments to counteract the effects of one negative. That's the power of the tongue. Our words can build or they can burn. A recent study of divorces in America in the book, What Predicts Divorce, found that, here's the quote, the single biggest determinant is the ratio of positive to negative comments that the partners make to one another. It's not how compatible you are. Not how beautiful somebody is, how much money you make, what you do for a living, how strong your family is. The single biggest determinant is the ratio of positive to negative comments that partners make to one another. See, what takes longer? Building something or burning it down? Burning it down, right? It took hundreds, maybe thousands of years for the forests destroyed by the wildfire to grow up. It just took moments to burn them down. Our words are the same. Our words are powerful. I love the way that verse six reads in the message paraphrase. It says, a word out of the mouth, out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. A few years ago, my mom moved out of our childhood home in Michigan, and as we were going through my stuff, I found one of my old theater programs. Now, I've mentioned before how I spent many years doing community theater over the last decade or so, but I got my start, the first really official theater experience I had was back in the ninth grade. And I really got involved because I loved music and singing. The whole acting thing was a little uncomfortable for me. I'd never done it before, and truth be told, I wasn't very good at it. It kind of freaked me out. Not because I was afraid of the stage or anything, it was just something I wasn't experienced in. But I had experienced singing. So there I was with my friends in the ninth grade who shared a similar passion. And at the end of my first show, Oklahoma, how many of you guys have seen Oklahoma? Yeah, great fun, yeah, great fun show. 
we had these theater programs and we would have everybody sign them, kind of like your yearbook, and just share some memories and we would pass those along. And I found that book and I saw it and my heart sank because I remembered what some of my buddies wrote inside my program. As school buddies sometimes do, they tease each other. And I can't read you all the words that were in there. They're not appropriate for church. But it ended with this. You can't act if your life depended on it. It's been fun. And he signed his name. And those comments stuck with me. It would be 20 years until I did theater again. Those negative words stuck with me. And they might have been true even at that moment, but they set the course for my life. 20 years, I didn't do theater, something that I love, something that I actually am good at. Those words stuck with me. But you know what didn't stick with me? The comment on the previous page said, Steve, you've got an awesome voice. Keep it up. Good luck always, because if you keep it up and keep being so sweet, you're going to go straight to the top. Love, Sutton Foster. Now, some of you, that name might ring a bell. Sutton has gone on to be one of Broadway's brightest stars. She's won several Tony Awards. This past summer, she played Marion in The Music Man with Hugh Jackman. She knew what she was talking about. But which of those words impacted me the most? The words of encouragement from someone talented enough to be among the best in the business? Or the hurtful words from my buddy, who was really just joking? For the next 20 years, I avoided something because of the power of those negative words. Our words are powerful. They can be used to build up or to burn down. James goes on in verse 7. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James is just full of illustrations for us. He wants us to understand the importance of what he's saying. It matters what we say. Our words make a difference. Our tongue is powerful. Now, as I was studying this passage, I found that the word translated restless here is only used one other place in the entire New Testament. And it's used a couple chapters earlier by James himself in chapter 1, verse 8. If you remember back to our first week, we looked at trials and temptations. And James warns us, he said, not to doubt God. Remember that? Not that we couldn't ask questions, but that we couldn't live what he calls a double-minded life. One foot in the world and one foot with Jesus. And here's what he said in verse 8 of chapter 1. He said, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, the Greek word used here for unstable is the same word that James uses in chapter 3 when he says the tongue is restless. It's unstable, full of deadly poison. It's not, it can't be tamed. It's a wild animal. It may appear to be tamed, but when conditions are just right, when it's put under pressure, it attacks. It's unstable. It's restless. It's unpredictable. Now, we don't know what it's going to do, but we do know what it's full of. Poison, he says. So 
So let's look at what Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Remember, James wants us to understand it's not, it's not our tongue. Our tongue is controlled by something else. It's controlled by our heart. As we've talked about in our study of both James and Jesus, they're more concerned with what's going on in our heart. Many of us, especially those who have grown up in the church or been in the church for a long time, we've gotten pretty good at putting a filter over our mouths. But that's not taming the tongue. That's putting on a filter. And what do filters do? They block the impurities. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to put on a filter. We need filters, right? Many of you need to turn up your filter a little bit. But it has to be something more than just a filter. There's something going on underneath. We just can't cover it up with a filter. When Angie and I were first married, we moved into a brand new apartment. It was a complex that had just been built, and we were the first occupants of the room. And a few months into our lease, we began to notice a strange smell. Honestly, we thought maybe it was just all the junior high boys that we had over at our house all the time in student ministry. So we'd clean, we'd take out the garbage, and we'd make sure the dishwasher or the, the, the garbage disposal was run. We'd flush the toilets often. We put air fresheners around the house. We even changed the AC filter, and we couldn't tell, what is this smell? It just kept growing stronger and stronger. And we talked to the lady who lived next door, and she was experiencing the same thing. Some of you guys know where the story might be going already. We were a new apartment building, and after getting the landlord and the building manager involved, we determined that our neighbor actually had the strongest smell in her room. And they ended up knocking out a wall in her closet. And inside, they found a dead raccoon. Poor guy had been there for quite a while. In this new construction, he'd found his way in there. And apparently, the drywaller didn't notice and sealed it up. And sure enough, months later, it began to smell. They had to tear into the walls to find the source. It didn't matter how much we masked the smell, it wasn't going to go away. We had to get to the heart. In this case, it was a dead one. <laughs> we had to get the heart of the problem. See, there's an old saying that says, what comes out of you when you're squeezed? When you're in the heat of the moment with someone. Even someone that you care for, someone that you might love. Have you ever had those experiences where you're squeezed and something comes out that's just awful? Once things settles down, this is often what we'll say, I'm sorry. I don't know why I said that. I didn't mean it. And part of that sentence is true. We are sorry, hopefully. And we might not know where it came from, but we did mean it. We said it. It came from somewhere. Our filter might not have been working, but something in our heart caused us to say those hurtful words. It's our untamed tongue rearing its ugly, poisonous head. We often have a filter that keeps it in check sometimes, but that came from somewhere inside us. 
James points all this talk about our faith being lived out in action. He says, that's really what I'm caring about is what is flowing out of you. He actually said in that verse we just read, he said, no human being can tame the tongue because we can't do it on our own. We have to have more than just a filter. See, many of us have figured out how to cover up the smell of our poisonous words. But what's the saying? It's like putting lipstick on a pig. Is that right? Okay, yeah. I'm not from Indiana, you know, but I live here now, so I got to use phrases like that. (laughs) No matter if you're a Christ follower or not, there's a lot of words that we know are deadly. We know cussing is wrong. Lying is wrong. Gossiping. But what are some of the less obvious signs of an untamed tongue? I put together a list that was adapted from Pastor Ian Simpkins. Seven signs of an untamed tongue. The first, taking cheap shots at people. Number two, repeating rumors. Number three, sharing details that should remain private. Number four, making yourself look good at others' expense. Number five, this one's a big one for me, grumbling and complaining. Number six, adding irritating details to make the absent person appear worse. Number seven, dismissing an unkind word by saying, I was just kidding. Those are seven signs of an untamed tongue. Our words are powerful. They can be used to build up or to burn down. So you remember, our words direct our lives, the course of where we're headed. But not just the words that physically come out of our mouth, but the words that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Those words that come from somewhere within our hearts. And our words can be used to build up or to burn down. James ends by telling us why all this matters. Remember the first verse that we looked at this morning, he said that those who are teachers, those who are leaders, need to pay more attention to this. And here's why. James chapter 3, verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James is asking some rhetorical questions here. See, salt water isn't just bitter, it's deadly. We can't have it both ways, he's saying. Do we understand the damage that are done by Christians, leaders or not? Those who profess with their mouths. Those who, as we saw last week, believe. Those who believe and have faith. Do we understand the damage done by Christians whose actions don't line up with their words? It's not damaging just for us. It kills the people around us. How many marriages have been destroyed by us not understanding this principle? How many relationships have been damaged? 
How many churches over the power of words? James is illustrating the very thing he talked about in chapter 2. James has been telling us that our actions matter, that we need a faith, he says, that works. But not in the sense that we just need to act a certain way. He wants us to see that all these actions, these words, flow from our heart. And the way that we speak is a reflection of what we see when we really look in the mirror. Remember the mirror he talked about at the end of chapter 1. James's goal for us and God's desire for us is to grow in maturity, to become more like Jesus. You remember, the more we look at that mirror, the more we see. So maybe when you first look in that mirror, it is using to stop swearing. But the more we look, the more we see. And it's not just bad words. It's words that burn. James echoes the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6. We read some of this already. It says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, it's about our hearts. It's not just don't lie. It's speak the truth in love. It's not just don't swear. It's directing your words to build others up. In the words we speak, whether spoken out loud, typed on a phone, or whispered in our hearts, do they build up or do they burn down? What does it look like for us to use our words to build up? Ephesians chapter 4.29 tells this. Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There's a word that stands out to me here as I read this. Wholesome. If you spend much time on the internet, you might have noticed that that word has grown in popularity quite a bit. There's actually been research done because people were starting to notice that word was trending more over the last few years than it ever was before. And I started to notice it popping up in places that really didn't make sense to me. Outside of the Bible, for much of my life, the word wholesome has really been a, hasn't been a word that's used that often, at least not the way that it's being used today on the internet. An article in the New York Times took a look at the rise of this word in younger generations and how it's really changed its meaning. It noted that wholesome used to be a label that wasn't particularly flattering or, or even relevant. It was maybe, they, they, uh, they correlated it to the dutiful smell of unsweetened oatmeal. It was bland. Think 1950s television. And over the past few years, wholesome is a phrase that's now used to describe anything that's not negative. See, the world has gotten so used to things being said that are so wrong, that are so hurtful, that are so painful, that wholesome now means anything that's not negative, anything that brightens your day. Here's some examples of what wholesome is referred to on the internet. This first one, it says, this is so wholesome. You might not be able to tell what this is. It's people on a bus and it's raining, and one person on the side is drawing tic-tac-toe, and the other guy on the other side is playing tic-tac-toe. This is wholesome. 
Or this next picture. He's just tapping the guy on the back, just giving him some love. The pat by the kitman is wholesome. Or here's my favorite one. You might not be able to tell what this is. This is a monkey riding a dog. <laughs> and the caption that was written there was, this is just so wholesome. Basically, anything that makes us go, aww. But when we read Proverbs, Proverbs gives us another definition, another understanding of wholesome. Proverbs 15.4 says this, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. And it means much more than just something that brings us warm fuzzies. It means, as the Christian standard translates this passage, a tongue that heals is a tree of life. What wholesome is, it's healing. As disciples of Jesus, we need to be more than just not negative. We need to bring words of healing. So how do we know if our words are wholesome or healing? I found an acrostic online. I know a lot of people love acrostics. You might have learned this as you were a kid. Your mother might have said it to you. But it goes back to something that we learned in the first chapter of James. And here's how you can know if something is wholesome or healing. You need to think. T. Is it true? H. Is it helpful? I. Is it inspiring? N. Is it necessary? K. Is it kind? If what you are about to say doesn't pass this simple test, then you don't need to say it. This is what it means to be wholesome or to offer a healing word. We need to think before we speak. A lot of what we resonate with there with chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So let me ask you this morning, how are your 54 pages? Honestly, I wouldn't want you to look at mine. They wouldn't be pages filled with curse words or dirty jokes, but you'd find plenty of grumbling and complaining, plenty of reckless words. See, it's not about just getting a stronger filter. It's about changing our hearts. James' whole point of these actions, these works, isn't to just change the exterior, but for the things that we do and now the things that we say to be a reflection of a heart that's changed by Jesus. So how are your 54 words? Do they reflect a life that's being directed, steered by Christ? Are your pages filled with words that point others to Jesus? Or are 54 pages confusing for the people around us? They think one thing based on what we're saying and not what we say we believe. But what if God were to rewrite your 54 pages? What if tomorrow morning before you picked up your phone to post or spoke to your kids or head into work, you asked God to edit your pages in real time? That our words would be words that give life, that speak life, as there's a song that says that. That we would learn that we can't tame our tongue, but Christ within our hearts can tame our tongue. 
that our 54 pages would be filled with wholesome, with healing words. Where are your words taking you? Our words can build or burn. How's your 54 pages? I want us to end this morning with sort of a benediction. That we would speak some life over each other. So I want to ask us all to stand. And on the screen, you're going to see a psalm from Psalm 19, verse 14. And I'd love for us to read this together, speaking these words of healing to our hearts and to each other as we start off this week. From Psalm 19, 14, read these with me. May these words of my mouth in this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's do that one more time. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. God, what a challenging word from James. That we would control the tongue, Lord, is something that, that we know we can't do on our own, but you can do in us. And so, Lord, I ask that the words that we speak that flow from our heart would be pleasing to you. That, Lord, our words would steer us closer to you. That when people hear the words that comes out of our mouth, Lord, they would be drawn to you. They wouldn't be confused. They would see someone who, even though we are not yet perfect or mature, as James tells us, that we are working towards that. That we don't just have a filter on our mouth but that what's coming up from the inside, what's bubbling up is a sweet aroma to you. God, help us to use our words to build, not to burn. Be with us this week. Lord, call to mind those times, even maybe in the moment when we're saying something, may we stop and think. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church together said, amen.